Good morning. I think we have again become a state government office where employees float in at any time and those who need to be serviced, uh, they also wait outside. So let's make every effort to come for worship on time. We know that once in a while something happens and um, a couple of people might get late, but as a church, let's make every effort to be here on time. One more thing, uh, this coming September 9th and 16th, September 9th and 16th, we'll be having baptism classes for those who would um, love to get baptized. It will be for an hour after um, worship, and it will be translated to Hindi, so Hindi speakers are also going to be there. So those who are desirous of getting baptized, please contact either me or George Chan. Okay. Yeah, that will bring us to today's topic. Actually, the... Um, Charlie here messaged me last Sunday what is going to be the topic of, uh, what, what is the passage for um, this Sunday's message. I've been coming to Hebrews and I had prepared the message already. So I just messaged him and said, you're bright and early, but still here is the passage. And I gave him Hebrews 5, 11 to 6, 14. But as we went through um, the floods in Kerala and had a couple of discussions here and there. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord led me to change that passage. And here we are in Matthew chapter 14. I know there are lots of calamities that happen, disasters that happen, there are wars that happen, but many of them happen way away from us. Sometimes they happen to people that we know, but still sometimes they are quite far. But um, quite a few of us here are from Kerala. We have seen the land, and hearing what we hear, it's unimaginable that these things happen. And there are questions that are raised in our hearts, and I don't propose to answer every question in fact, I sat down and I was thinking and the scope of the thing had to be so large that we could not cover it here. So I've just taken a small, a small portion of that and hope the Lord will speak to each of us through that. Okay. I usually love to uh, talk about this passage from Mark. But uh, this time I thought I would go to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, let's go back to the passage that we read. Okay, so we read from 19 onwards. So that was an introduction basically. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. 
and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. A very familiar miracle, right? Right from Sunday school, even non-Christians have heard of this. Feeding of the 5,000, besides uh, children and women, there were 5,000 men. Five loaves and two fish were multiplied. And after that, 12 baskets full of fragments were gathered up. Now, looking back at that incident, what do you perceive the Lord Jesus to be? Is he a prophet? Or is he more than a prophet? Uh, when you go to Mark chapter 6 and verse 52, that comes after the next incident when Jesus walks on the water. Mark chapter 6 and verse 52 says like this. For they had not understood about the laws because their heart was hardened. The hearts of people were hardened and so they did not know what exactly happened? They did not understand the matter of the five loaves and two fish. The feeding of the 5,000. What exactly happened? Jesus created, created material, you can say, but even more, created food. There were just five loaves and two fish. And obviously, he multiplied and so much more of fish and bread was created. He is the creator God. You know, the Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples step by step and revealing himself to them. And they wouldn't get certain things, so he uses different methods. Um, even before Mark chapter 6, there is Mark chapter 4, where again the disciples are on the sea and the Lord Jesus is in a boat along with them and there is a great tempest and he's sleeping. And the disciples wake him up. Master, don't you know that we are perishing? And he commanded the winds to cease and everything was calm. Even after these two miracles, they are not getting that he is God. So here, the Lord does something on purpose. You know, sometimes the Lord has to get our attention by giving us carrots. And sometimes he has to get our attention by giving us stick, right? Carrot and stick policy. We don't know in uh, what ways the Lord leads us and leads those around us. And we don't propose to understand the meaning of each and everything that happens around. But here we'll just look at this passage. So let's come back to Matthew 14, verse 22 onwards. We'll read now. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitude away. 
And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. You know, many a time I would love to have this explanation that all the natural disasters have been caused by Satan. But obviously, here the Lord is orchestrating things for them to happen this way, right? And what does he do? He goes and tells the disciples, go on to the other side. He puts them onto the boat. Does he go with them? No. He sends the people away and then he goes up on the mountain to pray. Doesn't the omniscient God know what is going to happen? The Lord Jesus didn't know what was going to happen. But all the same, he sent them. You remember Jonah and the whale? The Lord caused, right? The storms can be caused by the Lord. Here also, there is a storm they are at sea that tossed by the waves. And um, in another passage, we'll read that they strained at the oars. They were struggling. Their strength was giving way. They were so tired, rowing, rowing, rowing. Experienced fishermen as they were, experienced in this Sea of Galilee as they were, they could not face this storm. The Lord sent the storm. Why? And then, he doesn't come. He doesn't come in the first watch of the night. He doesn't come in the second or third. He comes in the fourth watch of the night towards morning. Didn't he see them? Wasn't he praying for them? up on the mountain. The Lord allows us to go through certain difficulties for certain periods of time and cry as we may. He seems to be silent. He is not silent. But he allows us to suffer for such and such a period. And in the fourth watch of the night, he comes. And again, it's a form that he's almost, it's almost that he's a ghost. And the disciples cry out for fear. And Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Where is he now? He's in the water, he's on the water. And the disciples are in the boat. And then there is this conversation with, with, with Peter. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus still, still takes his time. He still allows the rest of them to be 
buffeted by the waves while he engages with Peter. And we know what happens to Peter. And he started walking. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out again, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then Jesus steps into the boat, the wind ceases, and if you go to the um, Gospel of John, says, and immediately the boat was on the other side. Immediately the boat was on the other side. God has his timings with which he works. Okay. At the end of it, verse 33, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. This is the first time that we see the disciples worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, You are the son of God. So through all this process, Jesus made them realize that he is the son of God. And then he makes them confess that and from then on, he changes his um, teaching topic. He says, the son of man will be delivered. He talks about his suffering and death. So this was a critical point to which he had brought his disciples to realize that he is the son of God. What is one outcome of natural disasters? In every WhatsApp group, if you are, I'm sure you got a lot of secular friends from schools and colleges, every Tom, Dick and Harry, even the atheists would start saying, saying, pray, pray, pray. They don't believe in God. They did not believe in God till now, but now they do that. And um, there are people who react uh, differently as well. But the knowledge of God comes through this. Um, something happened to me today. I think the Lord was teaching me also. I usually bring my iPad and the note was there. I strained on my phone, but I was able to download on this anyway. Okay, so... um, So, many a time when we are in such a situation, I heard this question this uh, week. Is what God doing good? Many a time we assume that it is bad and then we want to ascribe it to not God. But here we need to understand that God is good is a factual statement. God is good. Whether I perceive what he does is good or I cannot perceive it, doesn't matter. He is good and what he does is good. 
God is so good. God is so good. He is so good to me. We sing, right? We sing, but do we really understand that when things go wrong with us, that God is good? Um, a theologian um, would define the goodness of God like this. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all that God is and God does is worthy of approval. When children do something that we approve, what do we say? Good. Okay. Bad, you have not done it good. Okay. So when we approve, that is good. So something that is worthy of approval is good. But worthy of approval by whom? By us? No. Worthy of approval by God himself. That is a perspective that we find difficult to achieve. In our hearts, we argue that such and such a thing is bad. And we don't bother about things like this unless it hits closer home. And when it hits closer home, we know Romans 8.28, what's it? We know that. In everything, God works together for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we say, God loves me and it is good for me. And I find some earthly reason why that is good for me. Don't we try to do this? Many a time when a flight crashes, there will be a story of how someone was not led by God onto the flight and so he was preserved. Okay, so sometimes when things go wrong, we'll say, oh, we got late and we should have done that. We did not do it. But say, oh, maybe there must have, an accident could have taken place and the Lord must have been preventing it. Oh, I know there is something good behind it. We try to reason and find uh, an earthly reason why it is good. You know, in certain situations, however hard you may try, you cannot find and earthly reason why it is good. Think of one person in Kerala right now. All her family dead and she herself surviving in, uh, in a um, refugee camp. We heard it in our group from Pradeep. What earthly good can she pursue out of that? Right? We like to say, I've said this here before, that there is a silver lining at the back of every cloud. But from an earthly perspective, there are some clouds that are dark, dark, and only dark. So, 
is what God doing worthy of approval is what God doing good we can see it only from the point of God he sees the present he sees the future he knows what is good for man here and he knows what is good for man after life and with that he does what is worthy of approval nothing that he does is ever bad um you've heard of dl modi and how he had his whole house burned in the famous chicago fire that lasted for long so here's a quote from dl modi he says prayer does not mean that i am to bring god down to my thoughts and my purposes prayer does not mean that i must bring god down to my thoughts and my purposes and bend his government according to my foolish silly and sometimes sinful notions this is what we need to understand that our notions are foolish silly and sometimes sinful and when we doubt god's goodness aren't we sinful aren't we doubting god's character prayer means that i am to be raised up into feeling into union and design with him that i am to enter into his counsel and carry out his purpose fully so it is to see things from god's perspective okay now it is normal we all get upset right see anyone who does not get upset i do multiple times yeah. some weeks more sometimes less maybe nil but some other weeks it is much more you know um when you are a little upset you are not your authentic person okay it's like a it's like something that's hanging down a weight that's hanging down if you disturb it it will go that way and then this way and finally it will come and settle down again right that authentic person that hangs straight is you and when a disturbance comes it is natural that a human being would get upset and often we ask a question why god yeah and according to your personality you might go into the uh, sadness and fear mode and will say oh why god or you might be full of anger and rebellion and say why god it it seems a little more holier to say why god rather than why god doesn't matter whether you are on this side of the spectrum or that side of the spectrum you are not your authentic person but we when we come to our senses we realize god is 
God is good. He does nothing that is not worthy of approval. And he is good and he does what is good. In Romans 8.28 again, we know the real meaning, right? That what is his purpose? That we be conformed to the image of his son. So at certain points of time, we might shift this way and that way. But let's come back to that original position at the earliest. Thank you. You know, um, there's a very famous illustration. Very, so you must have heard it multiple times. There was a little um, kid, two years old, sitting on the ground and playing. And there was his mama taking a frame and doing some embroidery work. And he was looking at the frame from below. And he found this confusing needlework and said, Mom, what are you doing? You're spoiling that cloth. Then he, then the mom lifted up the boy and lowered the um, embroidery frame and showed him. And as he looked at it, a beautiful flower was emerging. Now many a time we look from the point of man, not from God's viewpoint. If we could only focus on the fact that our Heavenly Father is good all the time, is full of love and mercy, but at the same time He's righteous, that He's perfect, that He's perfect in beauty, that everything that He does is beautiful, then our troubles would be over. He does nothing, absolutely nothing, that is not worthy of approval when compared to the perfect standard of what is good. And all he does is excellent. In creation, in redemption, take anything. Or what he does is good. So, what are, the, what are some of the lessons we learn from the current flood or for that matter any natural or sometimes man-made disasters? I'm not going into the theology of where disasters come from. But um, whenever we go through it, there are certain things that we can look into the scripture. So here, today, we are talking mainly about the attitude that we develop. One of the most famous Psalms is Psalm 46, 1 to 3. But before I go there, I just, just want to share something from my past life. I came to the Lord uh, during uh, my college days. I stayed around 
40 kilometers from my home. I could technically commute. Uh, those days, buses were slow, so I had, had to change three buses, and it would take two hours. So I stayed in the hostel. But as soon as I came to know the Lord and my parents sensed that um, I had left their faith, they wanted to make sure that I didn't go astray. So I had to, they made me um, commute up and down, two hours that way, two hours this way. And it was engineering. Um, those days, at least engineering courses were not that easy. And, you know, came back tired, hardly ever slept and worked through. Anyway, never got to fellowship with uh, saints. And uh, on um, Sundays, I would just take a songbook and uh, sing through uh, some of the songs. Uh, one of the songs, this was a Malayalam song. So if it if translated, turns out like this. Even if famine be multiplied and the earth quakes and the people are filled with anxiety, would we, the children of God, be afraid even a little bit? Would we, the children of God, be afraid even a little bit? That thought is taken from Psalm 46 in verses 1 to 3. And I think that's a great uh, portion uh, to think of. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Well, we can change the description of the calamities to whatever we go through, whatever is happening around. But the fact remains, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Once... Um, Somebody asked Mother Teresa, when that little child is, little baby is all alone in the street, where is your God? She said, no, my God is with that baby, but where are you? Okay. There are troubles that are happening, but God is ever-present. God is ever-present. Troubles might um, again be different. Um, I used to sing another song during that period. It was a Malayalam song written by K.V. Cheru. Amaji looked up by that name <laughs> when she heard the name because uh, that name is very familiar to many. He was a guy who was uh, sent out from his home for his faith with hardly anything. And I don't know the story completely. So, But anyway, he writes the song. My friends hate me, my clan despises me, and my heavenly friend 
has become my constant companion he will never leave me in my hour of distress he will never leave me in my hour of distress come what may what may be the nature of your trouble calamities or personal troubles remember god is a very present help god is our refuge and our strength people are trying to get to a refuge from dirt filled homes from sinking in water they are trying to get to a refuge god is our refuge and he is our strength he will help us to reach that refuge he will lift us up from that miry dirt and take us to himself he will take us to the refuge he is ever present you don't have to call you don't have to send messages after messages he is ever present but may not be in the way uh, we expect he weaves a fine flower on the canvas secondly calamities help us to think of eternity we have all been going through disciples manual one of the themes that runs again and again and again is lay not for yourselves treasures on earth okay lay up your treasures in heaven yesterday i listened to something that came in my college group probably you also must have heard that um, but this was in malayalam so um, the guy let's say go through a, as part of a, a rescue team or help team he goes around and there's a big house 3500 square feet house and two um nice cars is explained which brand but he definitely says that very costly cars filled with dirt and as they reach uh, with stuff a lady comes out and asks uh, can you give me a nighty and unfortunately they did not have that with all their wealth she doesn't have anything to wear and this is a story of many right in spite of the fact that they had laid up money and treasures and clothes okay and the lord talks about it where thieves come in and steal where moths come in and destroy another example where floods come in and destroy so let us learn to lay up our treasures in heaven christ is my exceeding great reward it is not what i have it is christ who is my reward and i use my life for him not for some animal pleasures here on earth 
And Second Corinthians four seventeen to eighteen, this light momentary affliction is going to give us an eternal weight of glory. Momentary versus eternal. Light versus weight of glory. Affliction versus glory. Light momentary affliction, eternal weight of glory. Let's spend our lives thinking of the eternal weight of glory rather than on flimsy things of this world. And worship God, another point. So if I said, trust in the Lord, then think of eternity. Worship God even in sorrow as Job Job did. What did Job do? Calamity struck. His children died. Um, his property all perished. What did he do? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He fell on the ground and worshipped. There was a I'm sure you must have seen the um, one of the clips that was being passed around. There were two, three different versions of the same incident of a two-story house somewhere in Cook, slipping and just sinking. As it goes, um, so in one of the clips, the a Muslim man says, "Allahu Akbar, God alone is great." You know, hearing that, I've, I've lived among Muslims. Um, I've been ministering among Muslims. There was an act of worship to the God that they knew. What is our natural reaction? Yeah, our natural reaction might be, why God? But if that thought comes immediately, focus God is good and worship God just as Job did. There is sorrow. You might arise and tear your robe and shave your head but fall on the ground and say you alone are great. There is nothing that you do is wrong. All that you do is good. think of the kingdom to come I'd love to go quickly to Matthew chapter 24 verses 6 through 7 not going to teach on eschatology but we'll look quickly And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in in various places. All these are the beginning of 
sorrows or birth pains. So, a lot of calamities around. That is the birth pangs before the great tribulation, actually. And let's um, go down and read verses 29 and 30 as well. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will moan, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the tribes of the earth will moan, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, we live as if these are fables. Our lives proceed as if these are fables. That is why we lack power in our Christian life, in our fight against the enemy, in our fight against sin. The way we indulge in luxury or um, entertainment and waste our life on frivolous things. So, think of the kingdom to come. When there are catastrophes, calamities, these are a reminder of the great tribulation to come and then the coming of the Son of Man and all his glory in the millennial kingdom and then on to glory forever with the Savior. If we do not have that faith, if that is not what we live for, there is absolutely no use of us going around with our Christian life. If for this life only we have put our trust in God, we are of all men to be most pitied. So, think of eternity, worship God. Even in sorrow, think of the kingdom to come. Okay. Sometimes a question comes. Is it a judgment against the non-believers? Or even the believers? Right? This question comes many a time. Okay. Graham Staines was, and his children were killed by, they were burnt. I think it was the next year, there was a big flood in Orissa. All Christians stood up and said, it's a judgment. Many times here and there things happen and we say it's a judgment. Maybe it is, maybe it is not. I do not know. I do not have the Lord's word. I just know that what God does, he does good. And some of us think that we are better than Kerala believers. I see smiles. Some of us think that we are better than our parents' generation. They are hypocrites. So we don't want to be like them. What about us? We can be judgmental. 
Maybe this, maybe this not, I don't know. Okay. But there's one thing that is clear. We are not the ones to make that judgment. We are not the ones to make that judgment. It is the Lord who needs to make that judgment. But what is the message that comes to us through this? Luke chapter 13, the Lord gives very clear instruction on that. Reading verses 1 to one to 5. Luke 13, 1 to 5. They were present at that time, that season, some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, in all calamities, probably there's a warning, there's a warning to non-believers and a call to repentance. And I believe there's a call to the believer, whether he's in that situation or elsewhere, to check his life, repent and readjust his life and readjust the focus in his life. Um, One thing that we can be very sure is that God desires all men to be saved. Um, First Timothy 2.4 and there are other verses as well. So whatever God orchestrates, he does with that purpose. You know, um, 1920s, what a great time of gospel reaching Kerala. And you know, what happened in 1924, a devastating flood came. So, is the Lord preparing that land? I do not know. Was it a judgment against increasing ungodliness and immorality in that land? I do not know. But these are opportunities for us to understand that God is at work. God is calling people to repentance and go and win those souls and speak to them, speak to the hearts that are being softened, the hardened hearts that are being softened by acts of God. Romans one twenty says, um, the non-believers is the eternal power of God and his divine nature through everything in creation. And these special uh, things that happen in each region is another chance for the non-believer to see the eternal power of God. But amidst all this, there is a 
great sorrow. I want to take us to Revelation 16, 8 to 11. Uh, again, not expounding the passage, but just wanting to bring a couple of things from there. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who, had, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. When troubles come, the rebellious one go on rebelling. They blaspheme the name of God and they did not repent nor give him the glory. And verse 10 and 11. Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his ball on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed God, the God of heaven because of their pains and their deeds and did not repent of their deeds. The unbeliever who does not repent of their deeds. At the same time, when things like this happen, what do we as believers do? Do we repent of habitual sins in our life and come back to the Lord? Do we grow closer to Him? Do we try to see His goodness and say, God, you are good. God is good all the time. Not only when I understand, not only when things are smooth. He is good. He is good all the time. So trust in the Lord. Think of eternity. Worship the Lord even in sorrow. Think of the kingdom to come. Do not be judgmental. And remember that God desires all men to be saved. And let's go forth and complete his work. God is giving people another opportunity to understand his power, eternal power. And his divine nature. Let's just go and explain it further to them. And if there are rebellious ones, we cannot do anything about it. There are things that we can do in the aftermath of this. Everyone is thinking about relief and all that. But are there things that we need to do together, individually? We can think of all these things later. But for now, let's remember, the Lord is our refuge, our strength, our very present help. Lay not treasures for us on the earth. And Christ is coming on the clouds. He's taking us. There will be the, again, there will be the tribulation. And Christ comes again for the saints to reign for a thousand years. And then Satan is let out. And at the end, the whole kingdom goes to the Father and we will reign for eternity with him. If he Focus on that reality and live. Blessed are we. If we judge others, if we point fingers at other believers, 
We are not going to profit. May the Lord bless this force to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you are a good God. Everything that you do is worthy of approval. Approval according to the perfect standard of goodness that is found in you and in you alone. We look at you and we say that you're perfect. You're full of mercy. Your kindness never ends because of your mercy, because of your steadfast love. We are not consumed. Thank you for your kindness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you're a righteous God who does not go allow sin to go unpunished. And at the same time, gives opportunity to the sinner to repent. Thank you that you are perfect. Help us to rise to the realm where you are and look at things. And in our frailty, Lord, sometimes we dare question you whether in our sadness or in our anger. Forgive us. Hold your perfect being before our eyes and hold your cross before our eyes where we will see your love and help us to think of the land that is ours, the beautiful land, the glory land which is ours and help us to live for heaven, live for you. Help us to work alongside with you to understand where you are at work, in whom you are at work, and come alongside and be your hands and feet in this world. Thank you, Father, in Christ's precious name.